Amen. Thank you, Jeff, and singers and musicians. Uh, take your Bible, be turning to the book of Judges, chapter 14. Sunday night, we are in a series on the life of Samson. While you're turning there, let me share some things that I'm sure Bill shared with you this morning, just a reminder. Um, we have our ongoing building fund drive to pay off the mortgage and to pay it down. Um, next Sunday is going to be a busy, a busy day. We have Sunday morning services, and then Sunday night, we have a baptism scheduled at the beginning of the service. Uh, we have our Bible study, we have Lord's Supper, and we have a business meeting all on the same night. So uh, I hope you'll put it on your schedule to be here. Of course, the business meeting will share the finances and the budget and uh, vote in new members and uh, do take care of that business uh, next week. Samson, in our study this evening, I entitled our study, The Almost Wedding. Uh, the Almost Wedding. He almost got married. Uh, got real close. Um, last week we saw Samson uh, become engaged. He had gone down to Timnah and uh, met a young lady or saw her. I'm not sure how much he had met her, but he saw her. And uh, he came back and in so many words, commanded his mom and dad to get her for him. And his dad and his mom tried to talk him out of it, and they said, well, why do you have to marry a, a woman from Philistia? Why don't you find a, a wife among Israel? Which, by the way, is what God told them to do. But Samson would have uh, none of that. Um, that was our first clue I pointed out last week that something was amiss with this young man, that, that things were not going to go uh, well for him in life. And there were three things that I, I think we need to remember about him, even from this early part of the story of his life, the account of his life. Three reasons really that, uh, three things that led him off path. One, he was chosen by God before he was conceived. Remember, the angel of the Lord came to his mother and said, you're going to have a baby. She had been barren her whole life. And so God revealed to her that she's going to have not only a baby, but a son, and that this son would end up being Samson, would be a deliverer, a judge in Israel. God said, this baby is special because I've chosen him, and, I, and he's going to be a Nazarite from birth, which was unusual. Nazarite was usually a vow that a person took to serve God for a specific period of time. And for a Nazarite, which fell upon Samson from birth, and his mother, by the way, God told her, be sure that you observe the Nazarite law, because whatever you do will defile the baby. Again, in the Bible showing the uh, undeniable connection between the mother and, and the life of a child in the womb, that God recognized, by the way. He was not to touch anything unclean or ceremonially make himself unclean, touching dead things, dead people, that kind of thing. He wasn't to drink any uh, beverages of the vine, no alcoholic beverages, and he wasn't supposed to cut his hair. From birth, those were his, his standards, and we know in the story that he broke all of those. The last one he broke was getting his hair cut, uh, which led to uh, him being captured and his eyes put out, and we'll get to that at the end of the story. Secondly, <clears throat> God had called him and Israel to be spiritually separate, to separate themselves from the world. Now we are in the world, but we're not of the world. 
And we operate in a lost world, but we're not to be like the lost world. Everybody follow me? They were to be the same way. Samson and, and his fellow Jews were to be in that part of the world, but not like those around them. God called them out to be separate because God made a covenant with them. He said, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. So Samson had a requirement to be separate. Now, in that separation, God specifically told them, don't marry the people that live around you. We read it last week, but I want to read it to you again. Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son or take their daughter for your son, i.e. Samson should not be marrying a girl from Philistia. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. It isn't that God hated all the people around Israel. In fact, he offered salvation for all. But God specifically said if you become unequally yoked, which is what it's called in the New Testament, you being a follower of the true and living God, marry someone who's not, who's a pagan, who, who worships idols, then they will drag you away from me. And God said, then I'll chasten you, then I'll judge you. And then thirdly, Samson again was breaking this specific direct command of God. And then thirdly, we find out in the life of Samson that he was quite uh, enamored with the things of the world the flesh, particularly women, and that he had a weakness uh, in immorality, in the area of immorality. Um, so we know in these three areas, his life from the very beginning began to take a wrong turn. Let me, let me say something that we need to realize as Christians right up front. As a child of God, I believe the Bible is very clear that there, there is a divine will for your life. And there's nothing you can do to change that because God's sovereign. But within that divine will of God, there's permissive will of God because he never overrides elements of our free will, meaning we are built, built created in his image to be able to decide to do right or wrong. And God has the unique and interesting ability to take our bad choices and still get done what he wants done. And we see that in, in, in Samson's life, okay? But here's my point for you and I on the Sunday night crowd here. It is much better, easier, and more productive to do life God's way than to do it our way. God's still going to get done what he wants done, but we could enjoy the journey a whole lot better if we do it God's way. Samson, here's my point, Samson could have been a great hero in Israel, a great deliverer, a great judge, if he would have just done it God's way. Now God still used him to subdue the Philistines and deliver them, but the road was really rough for him along the way. You following me? So I would say in our Christian life, as we look at Samson, let's not do what Samson did. Let's, let's understand God saved us and called us to serve him, and let's give ourselves to that. Let's serve God and not ourselves, not the flesh, not the world, okay? Now, look at the wedding arrangement in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 14. We have this wedding arrangement. His mom and dad caved, and they're going to do what he said. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came and roared against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Now, we read this last week, but, it, but I wanted to read it again to lead into the, to the whole wedding thing. 
as he, he's going down to Timna with his mom and dad, obviously they became separated. Uh, his mom and dad are on ahead of him. He passes his vineyard and a young lion comes out and, and the Holy Spirit comes on Samson, which you know was the source of his power. Okay? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came on him and with his bare hands he killed this lion, ripped it apart uh, and defended himself and, and killed this lion. Now that's impressive. But the more I thought about it, and I, and I thought about it through the week from reading it last week and talking about it, there should have been two, two effects on Samson. When God does something marvelous in our lives, even, even when we get saved, there should be two responses to that. Number one, it should encourage us. Because here's what I know, if God is for me today, then he's going to be for me tomorrow. And if God did a great thing in my life today, He's a God of great things. That means tomorrow, whatever I run into, he's going to do more great things, no matter what the situation is. So having God work in our lives, this is pretty obvious. I mean, Samson's going along, the lion comes out, the Spirit of God comes on him, and he rips this lion apart with his bare hands. Even he's got to be impressed with that, right? I mean, you know, that's not normal, so he's got to be thinking, man, you know, and I don't think he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. When I don't think Samson, there's no indication in the Bible that he's this big, buffy, you know, he's not, he didn't grow up in the gym is what I'm saying. I mean, he's just like a regular guy and the Spirit of God comes on him and he's at a supernatural strength to do these supernatural things. That's got to impress you. If God works in you that way or in some other way, he should have been encouraged to serve God. He should have been encouraged to obey God and to follow God. So should we. Number two, to have God work in our lives in such a way should draw us close to Him in gratitude. I mean, number one, He should have been thankful that God didn't let the lion eat Him. Right? I mean, because He's disobeying God. He's on His way to do what God told Him not to do. So God could have said, well, you know what, I'll just have this lion eat you and I'll get somebody else. I mean, God could do that, right? God could say, I'll just, you know, this young lion will have lunch and we'll be done with Samson and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll find another guy who will uh, who will do what I ask him to do. But no, in God's grace, God gives him the, the power to overcome the line and he spares his life. There should be gratitude. And gratitude should lead to obedience and holiness, right? You see the connection in salvation? When God does a great thing in our lives, like save us from our sin and give us eternal life, we should be encouraged. No matter how tough life is, we should be encouraged. And then when God uses us in, in the ministry or to do something for His glory or He does something great in our life, out of gratitude we should love Him back and be obedient and do what He asks us to do, right? And, and, and understand what He says and, and be willing to do it. So Samson had all the opportunity in the world is what I'm saying. And he squandered it and he messed it up. But notice what happened with the wedding now. Look at verse 7. Chapter 14. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. So he's still enamored with this woman, all right? And there's no relationship there. You'll see in a few minutes. It's just all, uh, I think, lust and other worldliness connected. Verse 8. And after some time when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey uh, were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating, when he came to his father and the mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there for young men used to do so. 
The way this process worked, the dad goes down, he, he makes an agreement with her dad, pays the dowry, they set a date, so then Samson goes down, they set up a wedding, and the wedding uh, is seven days long. It's a feast for seven days, and on the seventh day, the official ceremony takes place, and they officially get married, and then their husband and wife. So that's the process they're going through here. So he goes and sees her, and then on another trip back down there to set up the feast of seven days, he decides he's going to turn aside and take a look at the carcass of the lion that, again, pretty impressive. I killed this thing with my bare hands. Let me go look at it. And when he gets there, the bees, the honeybees have made a nest in the carcass of this lion, and it's full of honey. And so he takes some honey in his hands and <clears throat> has a snack on the, way, uh, on the way down to Timnah and gives his mom and dad some. Now, when you read that, it don't seem like there's much wrong with that, does it? But it's the small things. Remember, he's got a Nazarite vow. What's part of the Nazarite vow? Don't touch dead stuff. That line's pretty dead. It's been laying there for a long time, and he's not supposed to touch it, not supposed to mess with it. But not only does he, does he ignore that part of his vow, he takes it and gives some to his mom and dad and probably defiles them, and they don't even know it. He doesn't even tell them. And here's the point. You read that and you think, you know, not really a big deal, right? I mean, it's a snack, it's honey. I mean, the honeybees are good. God made the honeybees. They made a nest. They made honey. And maybe you got the honey out without touching the car. You know, you can make all kinds of rationale, which we do as human beings. But here's the point. Very serious. It is disobedience before God in the little things that leads to disobedience before God in the big things. And he's on the wrong road. That's the point. He is, he is being cavalier and nonchalant with everything that God's told him to be in his life. And all these little deviations from God's commands, all these little habits in his life of disobedience and self-centeredness, and I'm going to do what I want to do no matter what, are going to lead to a major failure in his life. And he can't see it coming. I would encourage you today to be careful for us, all of us. For in our lives today, it is the compromises and the little things that lead to the failures and the big things. Without exception, every Christian I've ever met who's had a major public failure in their life, most of the time it's a moral failure of some kind, some issue of unfaithfulness or adultery or something, Without exception, after the thing blows up and everybody's exposed and it's, and it's public news now, without exception, they say to me, oh, this started a long time ago. I say, well, how did this start a long time ago? Oh, it was the little things. It was pornography. It was the barriers that were down. It was being too friendly with people and, and not setting up barriers and, and too much familiarity at work or in, a, in, a, you know, in this relationship and it was the little things. It was the little compromises along the way that led to uh, the major compromise, which leads to destruction. The warning is very clear to you and I. We're no different than Samson. God saved us all. God's put us in his church. He's put us in the body of Christ. He's called us to serve him. He's called us to be holy. He's called us to be obedient. And God, listen to me, God deserves that because he's God. If God had never done anything for us at all, he deserves to be obeyed because he's God. 
capital G. But because he's God and because he loves us, we have much motivation to pay attention in the little things, what we watch, what we read, what we look at on TV. I don't know about you, but I grew up liking movies, you know, Star Wars and that kind of stuff. It's hard to find movies now. And it's tough. Because even a, a PG-14 movie should be more than PG-14 most of the time, right? I mean, the, what I'm saying is it's tough as Christians, and we have to be careful. And I'll be just completely transparent. There are movies I've gone to see, and it bothers me. It bothers me. And that's the Holy Spirit telling me I shouldn't be watching that. That's what that is. Don't compromise the little things is what I'm saying. Samson compromising a little thing like getting some honey out of a line and eating a thing as a snack on down the road. We can, we can justify that in our minds, but there's no justification for disobeying God. Now he gets to the wedding, gets down there, and they set up the feast, and they're going to have seven-day feast for the wedding. And 30 Philistine young men are invited to the wedding. They come. Now, you might, if you've ever studied this, you go, who are these 30 fellows? You know, are they friends of Samson? Are they friends of, of the bride? Are they, or does somebody just know them or are they crash in the wedding? I mean, what are, who, who are these 30 guys? Well, all it says here is it was the custom of the day that these young men would gather for the feast. Um, there are some scholars who think they were they were young men there to keep an eye on the Jews who were under the thumb of the, of the Philistines. I don't know. But in any case, these 30 young men show up at the wedding feast and they're going to have a week-long party. Now, one other compromise that we might point out in Samson's life here, do you think they had alcoholic beverages at the seven-day feast? I'm not a betting man and I don't gamble. That's a pretty sure thing right there if you were betting on that. Those 30 fellows are Philistine. They don't have the same scruples that Samson's supposed to have. And I would just wager that Samson didn't have any scruples either for the week that he's down there hanging out with him guys. So not only did he compromise in the, in the ceremonial cleanliness and eating the honey out of the line, he's probably drinking it up with these 30 guys and having a good time. Now notice what happens in verse 11. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, and I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. Verse 14, so he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. Now, we got the book, and we know where the riddle came from, right? I mean, that's about, that's about the deadline, okay? Out of the eater came something neat, and out of the strong came something sweet. It's the lion. They don't know that. They don't, they don't know that he killed a lion with his bare hands. They don't know he had a snack on the way down there out of this honey. So he, he makes this wager with them, this bet. And he says, if in the next seven days you can solve a riddle that I give you, then I'm going to pay you. And if you can't, then you have to pay me. Now, what was this wager? What was the thing that they wagered? 30 changes of clothes. Inner garment and the outer garments. 
That doesn't mean much to you and I today, but in a, in, a, in a society back then when a person had one or two changes of clothes, that was a lot. To wager 30 changes of clothes, inner garments and outer garments, was a very wealthy, a very expensive wager. Now Samson made this wager because he knew there was no way they'd have any idea what this riddle was about. And he had every intention of taking their wager, taking their stuff to start off his life with his new bride. Now the young men are stumped. They can't figure this thing out. And now they're getting anxious because they know that if they lose and they can't answer the riddle, they got to come up with the money. They got to come up with the clothes. They got to come up with the garments. And they don't want to do that. So they became anxious. Look at verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your family and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have paused, uh, posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I've not explained it to my father or mother, so should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Wow. First, these 30 fellows who are at the wedding are serious business, aren't they? They can't figure out the riddle, and so they go to Samson's new bride, and they say, look, you got to get the answer to this riddle out of your husband, or we're going to kill you and your father and burn your house down. You need to invite some different people to your wedding. That's all I can say. These 30 Philistine fellows are, are adamant. They're not losing this wager. And then in this passage we find Samson's one weakness, a crying woman. This is his downfall. I mean, it looks funny, but it's true. This, this new bride of his doesn't want her family to get wiped out or the house burned down, and she obviously believes these guys are serious, so she begins to pressure Samson. She begins to weep and cry before him and say, tell me the answer to the riddle. And then she pulled the trump card. She said, if you love me, you would do it. If you love me, you would tell me. If you really love me, you would demonstrate it by telling me the answer to this riddle. And Samson goes, look, I need to tell my mom and daddy. How, why would I tell you? But it says she pressed him for seven days. Now, ladies, us guys don't handle that crying and carrying on very well. And I can't imagine seven days of that. Seven days of tears and crocodile tears and, you know, and moping and, you know, the whole thing. Sooner or later, we'd be like, Samson, just go, fine, let me tell you, let me tell you what the answer is so we can get past this. And that's what happened to Samson. Just she wore on him and cried and wept, and if you loved me, you wouldn't, you wouldn't keep this thing from me. So he tells her, and what's the first thing she does? She goes right to those 30 guys and gives them the answer 
And of course they guessed the riddle before sundown on the seventh day. And Samson's answer is interesting in verse 18. He said, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. So he knew immediately how they knew. He knew immediately that she told them. Let's make some observations right here. First of all, does this sound like the start to a good marriage? I mean, just, I'm just saying. Does this sound like they're, they're going to get off to a really good start here? I mean, like, he's got this riddle, and his bride-to-be wears on him for seven days, you know, crying and carrying on. If you love me, you would tell me. So he finally tells her, and there's absolutely no integrity here, no trust. No, the trust is broken. She goes immediately and tells these 30 guys who now uh, cost him a lot of money. Why would all that happen? Why, why, would, that, why would such a, a, a situation come about? Well, let's think about it for a minute. Number one, this relationship between Samson and this woman is not birthed of God. It's not birth of love. It's not birth of, of them meeting and having commonality and, and, and God blessing their, their time together. It's not built on love at all. On Samson's part, it's built on lust. Probably in the family section, it's built on, on worldliness and materialism. Why? Because her dad's willing to give her up for enough money. Yeah, you bring me enough dowry, I'll let you, I'll let you have her for your son. And it's almost like the dad getting a wife for his son. There's no relationship there. Where there is no relationship, there usually is no trust. You would think if she loved him, she would not have betrayed him, right? And so this marriage gets off to a bad start right out of the chute. There is no trust. Sometimes I see young people who are dating, and you can, if you, if you see them together, you can tell a lot of things, you know, the way that God treats her, the way she treats him. Uh, I've seen young couples come to church together in the cars. Wait, they think we won't see them if they park way out there. Okay. They'll be way out there. And I'll see them when they're leaving, and the guy will be mad, and he'll slam the door, and he'll be fussing and carrying on, and she'll be crying, you know, and they're not even married and they're having a fight. I mean, they're fussing and not even married. And then they'll come to me for counseling, premarital counseling. You know, and I have to tell them, look, you guys fight like cats and dogs in any marriage yet. I said, you, you need to take a step back and figure out who you are in Christ, saved it all, and figure out what you're going to be when you're together. Samson and her needed to do that. They need to take a step back and figure out, do they even need to be married? Number two, they are, they are breaking God's commands. Samson's breaking God's command. What else could he expect? In, in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Paul said, Do not be unequally yoked with non-believers. Now just, just take a breath and think about that. God said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Don't be unequally yoked with non-believers. Don't need to interpolate that. We don't, need to, we don't need to try to, oh, but I love him so much. He's lost. 
I love her so much. She's lost. She doesn't know Jesus. She's not saved. But I love her. You're not listening to me. God said, don't be unequally yoked. Now, if you ignore that, if, if we just, you know, okay, we're not going to follow that rule. We're not going to follow what God said. We're just going to ignore that. Then don't come back in here in six months crying and telling me how terrible your marriage is. I'm telling you before you get there, 2 Corinthians 6.14, don't be unequally yoked. And here's the one I hear most of the time. The young lady, most of the time it's the guy that's lost and it's the girl who's saved. I'm going to change him, Pastor. Mm, nah. No, you're not. Oh, but he loves me. I'm going to change him. When we get married, he'll be different. No, he's as good as it's going to get right now. Because once you get married, the real him's going to, you know, going to come out. And what you want in the real him is a man who loves Jesus. That's what you want. Because if you marry a guy who don't love Jesus, he ain't going to love you like he's supposed to. And funny how people don't want to hear that. Solomon, did, I mean, Samson didn't want to hear that. Well, Solomon too. But Samson didn't want to hear that. Samson don't want to hear that he's not supposed to be marrying this Philistine girl. Why? Because all he can see is she's beautiful and, you know, and all the benefits. Listen, what I'm saying is he should not be surprised that when he tells her his secrets that she has a lack of integrity. He shouldn't be surprised that when he tells her his secrets that she's untrustworthy. And you and I know this. You can't have a marriage without trust. You can't have a relationship without trust. It's impossible for two people to walk together without trust. You know what a definition of trust is? I didn't mean to share this with you, but I will. Trust is a recognition or that I know the person I'm with recognizes my weaknesses. Trust is allowing them access to my weaknesses, knowing they're not going to take advantage of it. Meaning, I trust them not to hurt me. I trust them not to take advantage of where now they know they can hurt me or where they can take advantage of me. Is it not true in a marriage, in your mate's life, you know the buttons to push? You can't live together and not know that, right? You know what to say. You know exactly what to say and what to do to get your spouse fired up. But what does love do? Love says, man, I ain't pushing that button. Self-preservation might say, I ain't pushing that button, okay? <laughs> but the point is, where there's love, where, where there's unity, and that unity has to begin with a relationship with Christ, then there's trust that we're not going to hurt one another, that we're not purposely going to take advantage of one another. Samson and this young lady have none of that. None of that. Now, I know there's not, there are all the young people who are up there in that thing. But my goodness, if you know somebody who wants to get married and you know young, somebody who's saying to you, well, I'm getting married, you might want to share some of this with them. Make sure that your mate, your prospective mate, the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with, number one, they know Jesus. If they know Jesus, we can work the rest of it out. But if they don't know God, you're not even off to a good start. Okay? Samson should not have been surprised at what I'm saying. These men got his riddle. How do you think Samson responded to that? Another trait you learn about Samson, he had a terrible, a terrible anger problem, temper. And, and Samson didn't want to get even, he wanted to get ahead. 
Okay, which is God's going to use that. Look at verse 19 and 20. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ascalon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Boy, it just gets better, don't it? I mean, this thing's just getting wonderful. Samson now, he's mad. These guys messed with his wife, got, got the riddle out of him, got the answer. Now he owes them 30 changes of clothes. I'm pretty sure Samson didn't have 30 changes of clothes, okay? He can't pay his, his wager. So he goes all the way to Ascalon, about 23 miles away, and kills 30 men. Just let that sink in for a minute. Just kills 30 men. Think about those men. They're minding their own business. They're over 23 miles away doing their thing. Dads, husbands, fathers, sons. He just kills 30 men. Takes their lives and takes their clothes. Well, that sounds like a man of God, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds like a guy that's, you know, just on the up and up. Kills these 30 guys to satisfy a wager, a bet, and takes the clothes back. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, but it says right there, the Spirit of God came on him and enabled him to do it. Yeah, think about this. The purpose of God raising up Samson is to cause strife with the Philistines. God wants them to get aggravated with him, but God wouldn't have done it this way. That's Samson's doing. And what God's going to do is use Samson's sinfulness to get his purpose done anyway. Because here's what had happened. The Philistines had gotten comfortable ruling over Israel. Thing been going on 40 years. They just got comfortable in it. They just rule over Israel, God's people, and God didn't want them to be ruled over by the Philistines. Israel, the worst part is Israel had gotten comfortable being ruled over by the Philistines. And there was this, there was this quasi-agreement between Israel and the Philistines. Yeah, you can rule over us. Don't kill us. Let us live our lives. You can be the boss and we'll just be here. And you can see it in interaction. He's going down to Timnah to marry a Philistine girl. They're just all one happy bunch getting along, except Israel is not what God called them to be. And so God said, I'm going to break up this little party. I'm going to raise up a judge, and I'm going to create a strife between him and the Philistines, and I'm going to create a one-man wrecking crew. And that's what Samson ended up being. God said, I'm going to create a one-man wrecking crew that's going to stir up the Philistines against him, and he's going to deliver Israel from being under the hand of the Philistines. He's angry, and he goes home. He don't go back on the seventh day to consummate the marriage or take his wife. He just goes home. Well, now the dad of the bride doesn't know if Samson's coming back. He doesn't want to be embarrassed, so he marries her off to the best man. I guess if you're the best man, that's where you get a bride. You're the best man. The groom left, so you're next up. Here, here you go. Here's your bride. All right. So his wife to be marries the best man, and you know they live happily ever after. Well, they don't really have happily ever after because Samson's going to really stir the pot later. When Samson goes home, now what's God doing here in all this mess, bringing about His purpose? But what I want us to understand tonight, this mess that we've read about here, Samson created that, not God. Samson did this stuff by being disobedient, not God. But God and His sovereignty is going to use Samson's disobedience to bring the end that He wants in the first place. 
And again, what I began with is this. God has a purpose for our lives. And he's sovereign. And what he wants done is going to get done. It's either going to be you and me doing it or he'll get somebody else to do it. Or we can be disobedient. He's going to bring us to the end anyway. Ultimately, ultimately God has, to, has, has declared that we are going to be ultimately conformed to the image of his son and spend eternity with him. Now the path how we get there, some of that's up to us. It can be a, an easy path, a path of service, or it can be a path of rebellion and getting whooped in the woodshed every other week. So I would suggest to us as Christians, why don't we take the easy road? Why don't we just walk with Jesus and do life God's way and let him bring us home when the time is right rather than be rebellious throughout our whole Christian life and live a difficult Christian life. Don't do that. Samson could have lived a great life as a judge of Israel. He could have been a man of renown, not because he's such a great man, but, but God would have used him in a mighty way. How many Christians have you known in life? How many Christians have you known in life who took their own path and their life became shipwrecked? Because they took their own path. Don't, don't get off the path, okay? Walk with Jesus. Serve him. Don't be like Samson. If you're here tonight or you're listening online, it all begins with being saved, being born again by faith in Jesus Christ. I pray tonight, if you're not saved, if you know that you're not saved, would you pray to receive Christ tonight? Would you do that now? Would you confess your sin? Trust Jesus. Ask him to save you because he will. And he'll make you new. Let's pray together. Father, we read the account of Samson, Lord, and sometimes our hearts are troubled. We see the difficulty that he created in his life. And God, what a warning it is for us not to do the same. God, help us when we read the Bible and you say, do this or don't do that, Lord. Let us have an obedient heart, a willing heart. And God, you create in us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, an obedient heart. God, bless those who might be here tonight who are struggling. I pray, God, you would bless them. Bless those in the south of our state that have such destruction from the hurricane, God. I pray you would bless them and give them quick recovery. Father, I pray for the one who might come under the hearing of your word tonight, online or here. And Lord, they're not sure they're going to heaven when they die. Lord, right now they can be sure. Right now they can confess their sin and say, God, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus, you died for me on the cross. And God, by all the faith I have, I ask you to forgive me and save me right now. God, you'll save anybody who asks. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. If I can help you or pray with you, if you have questions, you come on the first verse. thing over next door in just a minute. So you're invited to come to that. Uh, I know there's some cakes and stuff over there because I saw them going by when I was standing out there. So uh, I invite you to come over and be part of that. Uh, pray this week. We have Bible study on Wednesday. Last Wednesday we canceled because of the storm. We had Bible study classes for every age group. So I invite you to be part of that. Next Sunday is going to be a busy day. So you pray and uh, plan on being here with us. So let's pray and we'll go uh, next door, Juana should be getting over here in about four minutes. Thank you, Father, for today. 
Thank you, Lord, for blessing us. Thank you for those that have been saved. Thank you, God, for those who have heard your word and been stirred up, Lord. And I pray that each of us will be drawn closer today for being here. You be honored in Jesus' name. Amen.